This is episode 265 of the Wrestling Brethren Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Wiener, along with Seth Zillman and Jared Aubrey. And on this episode, we have our year-end awards episode with plenty of topics to cover and awards to give out. Hey, yo, Jay Will, get us started. What up? This is Josiah Williams, and you're listening to the Wrestling Brethren Podcast, where wrestling and pop culture collide. Yeah. It is the year-end episode as we draw to a close of 2021, heading into 2022, where we will start out the year immediately with a WWE pay-per-view. But before that, we got some year-end awards to give out. Jarrett, how the hell are you? Well, this is one of the shows I look forward to the most. They are year-end awards, so it's always interesting to see what we come up with here. We're winding up probably the second worst year of my life, but that's not what the show is about. The show is not about my life. This show is about the year in wrestling and pop culture, and I'm looking forward to seeing what we all have for our awards. Yeah, this show is always a blast because we do wrestling, we do stuff outside of wrestling. So for those parts, it's always fun to see what's going on in your guys' heads and see if uh, I'm anywhere close. It was almost like a sitcom line. Oh, wait, it's my line. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we will kick off the year-end awards with a couple of pop culture items. And then we'll just make our way through. So for the first category, we will define and award the tech of the year. My family cut the cord this year. So I looked into cord cutting alternatives. So that's what I'm putting as my tech of the year, cord cutting streaming services. I personally started using Sling, which I believe is actually owned by uh, Dish Network. So uh, it's, and I don't want to sound like I'm a commercial for it, but it, it's essentially all the basic cable channels you would get in an app in your TV or computer or whatnot. There are other ones out there as well, but I didn't want to sound like I'm classifying just one product, but I'll, I'll say just cord cutting as a whole, because that's kind of getting more and more mainstream now. And I think just the fact that there's so many apps that will be already on the TV when you get them, when you buy a new smart TV. So you might not even need any sort of cable service to get all the channels that you want. So I'm just putting cord cutting streaming services in general as my tech of the year. Not a bad call, Seth. I've been doing that for for quite a while. I only recently just got cable back because my provider gave me an incredible deal um, for a couple of years. Um, it was like basically internet and then, you know, added TV for like 20 bucks a month. It's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> whatever. 
Um, one other thing I'd like to add, if I could, uh, one of the things that I like about the, some of these court cases is it's more like an a la carte TV, because I always thought forever, rather than pay $100 and you get you know, 50 channels you don't watch, why not pay 20 or $30 or something and you only get like a dozen channels, but it's the ones you watch. That seems like it would be more cost effective in my book, but that's I guess that's why I like the, the cost cutting services so much. It's effective until you start paying for, um, you know, the stuff that you don't get. You start paying for it a la carte, like, oh, I need to watch baseball, so I'll subscribe to MLB. And then, oh, I want to watch hockey, so I'll subscribe to NHL Network. And start adding all that stuff on, and it's like, why did I even bother? <laughs> but for my my tech of the year, I'm going to go something that I bought not too long ago, and uh, I'm overjoyed with it. It's fantastic it has multiple screens it's a phone it folds uh it folds both ways i guess i'm talking about the uh the microsoft surface duo 2 um this thing is pretty awesome you can span apps across multiple screens like take your kindle app spread it across both your screens you're reading just like a book you're flipping pages just like you normally would you can read your text on one screen and actually you know compose on the, on the other same with your emails um, you can You'll be checking for uh, you know, a food delivery on one screen and playing a game on the other screen. It's awesome. I love it. Service Duo 2, bring it on. I will never buy a folding or flipping phone, so <laughs> that is lost on me. Because with my luck, I would get the one that eventually gets the crease down the middle. Oh, yeah, well, this, these are two actual separate screens with a hinge in the middle, right? So it's not like you're taking one screen and bending it in half. It's two actual screens. I just think it's kind of funny how back in the day, 10, 15 years ago or whatever, they, they talk was how small and convenient the phone is, <laughs> and now it's like the selling point is how big the screen is. Yeah, before we was making them as small as you can. I would, we, we used to have a StarTac, a Motorola StarTac for our on-call phone. You flip that sucker closed, and it's really only, what, two or three inches wide? Big change from today. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I'm going outside the box with my tech of the year because it's not even something that I actually own. Um, but I'm going with the Fitbit Charge 5. Now, I do have a Fitbit watch, but it is like three or four models across and several levels down. But if, you know, I've never had a problem with the Fitbit watches, um, aside from the occasional time sync issue. Um, so if I were to upgrade my Fitbit, I would definitely go with the Charge 5 because it's more narrow than any of the other series, and they've increased the screen size to where it, you can get all your information and still have it be as narrow as mm, like a thick uh, band, like a watch band without the actual watch face or large watch face. So I will go Fitbit Charge 5 that I might eventually get. Okay, best TV show of the year. Well, uh I did a lot of streaming TV, a lot of geek watching TV this year. This might be the only pick now that I'm looking over all the all the picks that I have. It might be my 
the only one to represent the DC comics brands, but that would be Superman and Lois for me. The first season that uh, dropped early this year. And granted, I'm biased because Superman's one of my favorite superheroes. But to finally get a Superman TV show that didn't seem to be Superman light, because I know they had uh, Lois and Clark in, in the 90s, but it's like it it felt like it was a Superman light. It felt like it was just kind of, uh, well, let's only have the, the lightweights and we'll focus on the romance aspect of it. We got Superman. I mean, the the opening scene in the season premiere, the series premiere was Superman basically saving a city from a uh, nuclear plant meltdown. So, I mean, it was like Superman being Superman right out of the gate. So I think that alone kind of fanboyed me enough that I'll make that my TV show of the year, Superman and Lois. I think season two is going to drop in about a month or so so i will definitely be watching that i still haven't watched that yet and i really want to watch it it's on the list but for me i'm gonna go with um a universe that i've just recently been introduced to and season two of the show just dropped uh a few days ago and i'm gonna toss a coin to my witcher and choose the witcher as my tv show of the year uh the whole fantasy aspect of this is pretty awesome. Henry Cavill does an amazing job as Geralt in this, and I'm having a blast watching it. That's my show of the year. I've been meaning to watch that, too. Do it post-haste. So normally I'm the TV guru in terms of mapping out my watching, watching all the trailers for new television shows like i have everything mapped out like only a geek would and this year there just weren't any new tv shows that captured my attention and for the first time ever i didn't map out anything because i just had existing shows that i would watch so I'm going to go with one of my existing shows that's been on for several seasons, and I'm going to say Fox's 911. Uh, it's entertaining. It has just enough mix of, I don't want to say gore, but like accidents or things that make you instantly wince and turn away from the television, depending on what the emergency situation is. Uh, and yet they still are able to weave several stories through. It's not just, you know, you know, accounts of actual 911 calls. This is all obviously fiction, but definitely a, an interesting balance of emergency calls and storytelling at the same time. That one is also on my list to watch. Okay. Best movie of the year. This probably won't be too much of a surprise because it's all over the news right now. Uh, for me, I mean, there, there's a couple of contenders, you know, like like, like Dune and uh, like Black Widow was very good as well. But my movie of the year is Spider-Man No Way Home. Not going to spoil any, anything here, but in the year of our Lord 2021, even while we're still technically in a pandemic, this movie did something like a $250 million opening weekend it was the third biggest grossing weekend of all time so that should tell you how much people have been waiting for this to come out 
Train and I will be dedicating episode 299 of Geekle Radio to a thorough review. That'll probably be up around the time you hear this, so you can look for that. But yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home, movie of the year. Uh, that's uh, pretty much a homer in, in my book, but it, it, it's still, I, I think, a worthy pick. I'm off work until the start of January, so it shall be viewed at some point during my time off. I just haven't made it out there yet. And I, I think I have to abstain from this category because I don't think I've seen any movies out of 2021 yet. So nothing recent that I can comment on. Well, I'm going to join Jared because um, I don't get out much to the movies anymore uh, since that certain thing in 2020 started. And, um, yeah, when we watch stuff at home, it's generally kids' movies or family movies, and none of them really qualify as best movie of the year. And I have not seen Spider-Man uh, that just came out, nor have I seen anything beyond the Tobey Maguire franchise. So I'm way behind, and uh, yeah. So I'm uh, not only abstaining from this category, I'm just, I have no idea. I'm not in any loop for movies or anything of the sort. Okay, moving on. Geekery of the year. This is what I was talking about before when I brought up DC. This is my lowest TV show because my Geekery of the year is actually a collection of TV shows. And that collection being the MCU TV shows that have been streaming on Disney Plus, that being the collection of WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier, uh, Hawkeye, which is currently wrapping up as we record this. And not only are they all great, they all kind of have their uh, meeting points, so to speak. You can tell where in the grand scheme of things they all take place. And uh, just a lot of stuff going on that, you know, they wouldn't have been able to do on the big screen. Like they, there never would have been a Hawkeye standalone film, I don't think. But doing it as a TV show is absolutely perfect. And Hawkeye is another example of a show that truly feels like a comic. And not just because they're adapting a comic story into the show, which just the way it begins and ends. Each episode feels like you're turning the pages of a comic. but so just as a lifelong comics fan, seeing all these TV shows tell these stories that, you know, they wouldn't have been able to do in feature film and being able to tell and give time to these extra stories and side characters and such. It really is kind of a breath of fresh air, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. So that's why the MCU TV shows are my geekery of the year. I'm going to go a little bit. Maybe perhaps off the rails. I'm going to go into the toy world. And you guys have known me for a while. You know I'm a Transformers nerd. I think, Seth, I even joined you on an episode of Geekville to talk about Transformers. Um, so I'm going to talk about uh, a recent acquisition of mine. It's from Make Toys. And it's part of their remaster series. It's uh, their masterpiece scaled series. Um, so kind of what my, my goal now about collecting Transformers is, oh, I want to go back and get all the G1s, but I'm going to get the best version possible of the G1 toys, and this is a pretty kick-ass version of Megatron. His name's 
actually Despatron in the toy series because because of trademarks and etc. This thing it's like a nine inch tall toy. It comes with multiple different face plates. So you have like maniacal laugh Megatron or ticked off Megatron or serious Megatron, and uh, he's got a gigantic arm cannon. He's a very awesome looking piece, super articulated, and I'm enjoying the crap out of it. So that's gonna go to my geekery of. There's a non-serious Megatron. Maniacal laugh Megatron. Nice. My geekery of the year is going to be, I'm just going to blanket statement it, and I'm going to say the world of podcasting. We've (laughs) been doing this episode for episode. Wow. We've been doing this show for a long time. This is obviously episode 265. And the podcast we did before that and everything. And I am still going out and learning things that I need to know. I'm in several uh, podcasting communities. I am uh, invested in Poddex uh, by Travis Brown. I am constantly looking for upgraded equipment and i'm on the verge of starting yet another podcast uh a cubs podcast uh so i'm very interested and if i could only make a living doing it i would be set (laughs) but i'm going to say definitely the world of podcasting i know exactly how you feel the twitter feed of the year for wrestling this, I think, is going to be uh, a pretty unique pick. I think it's a worthy pick, and I'll definitely explain it. Uh, there is a Twitter out there called WrestleNomics, and it's spelled pretty much how you would expect it. It's Wrestle and the Nomics, like economics, uh, but put together like one word. I noticed this Twitter feed around the time during the summer when I think was showbuzzdaily.com went down to showbuzzdaily.com is where you get daily Nielsen reports. And it's where a lot of people were going to for wrestling ratings. So it was where we would see like where raw and SmackDown and dynamite and all those shows would do. Cause they'd give you the 18 to 49 demo, the total viewers, a lot of the main breakdowns that was showbuzz daily that sh- that site went down i think for about a month and that's when i found wrestlenomics on twitter because they would at least report the wrestling shows and what they were getting as far as the demos and totals and they also tend to go into some of the other numbers like they'll t- they'll talk about tickets sold at wrestling events and stuff like that like they'll have a breakdown of Dynamite ticket sales per show as compared to some of the WWE shows, Raw and SmackDown or the house shows. So it's a good site to follow if you want to see things more on the business aspect of wrestling. I don't mean that as far as like work shoot or promos and all that, like actually what numbers shows are drawing and how many tickets promotions are selling for their shows. That's WrestleNomics. I think if you're a wrestling fan who looks at ratings or attendance figures and things like that is definitely a must follow. Awesome. So I'm going to go to not a, not a business feed or not a 
corporate type feed. I'm going to go to the individual feed. And it's uh, a legend I've been following for a long time. And he makes me laugh literally a dozen times a day or more. And um, I'm going to go with uh, the Iron Sheik. Iron Sheik tells many people a day to go after themselves. And I laugh each and every time. I love his Twitter feed. It's awesome. You should all follow it. I'm going to go with someone who I think either I awarded to last year or one of us did, and I can't remember, but it is both entertaining and hilarious and spot on and probably the most in-character kayfabe account there is, and that is Maxwell Jacob Friedman at the underscore MJF. He is even roasting his own parents, and his parents roast him back. So, uh, very entertaining, keeps in character, uh, does not give a flying F who you are. He will take you to task on Twitter, just as he does in the middle of the ring. Still can't stand him. (laughs) All right, Twitter feed of the year, pop culture. Okay, this is going to be another weird one, I think, for for some. But the Twitter feed, I think, I think this would still qualify as pop culture because they were definitely a meme thing for a while. That was the e-cards. So there's a Twitter feed for some e-cards. It's, it's spelled, of course, like it's one word. But it's got a lot of those things that looked like the emotion cards, but they say something really silly. And uh, I know those are a big uh, meme thing a while back when you could uh, po- make some themselves. But if, if you like memes and you like kind of the silly captions for stuff, it's a good one to have. Like, and it's some e-cards, like they'll, they'll show stuff like, uh, like a, Something like, you know, if I want my husband to run his hands up and down me in bed, I just lie in the remote, you know, and, and, and but, you know, it's got some woman's face there or something like that. But, you know, it's it's that type of humor. So some e-cards on Twitter. Check it out. Yeah, I got to go look that up. That's hilarious. Uh, I'm going to go to the music world for mine and uh, I'm going to go to the son of uh, the late guitar legend, Eddie Van Halen. I'm going to go to his son, Wolfgang. So. Wolfgang, if you haven't been following him, is um, a musical genius in his own right. Um, <clears throat> wrote, recorded, performed uh, every instrument on his debut album, and he takes a lot of heat because you know he's he's Eddie's kid. He, he can't win whether he's you know riding the coattails of his last name or you know refusing to ride the coattails of his last name. He takes he takes crap either way. So just the, the way he he deals with it and processes it is to throw it back. And it's hilarious and it's outstanding. And he comes up with some great zingers and I have a blast reading his Twitter feed. So she all should check him out. My Twitter feed for pop culture is where I get a lot of my material from. And I'm not ashamed to say it. My Twitter feed of the year pop culture is dad jokes at dad says jokes. And I'm going to regale you with a couple right now. 
I thought I won the argument with my wife as to how how to arrange the dining room furniture, but when I got home, the tables were turned. (laughs) Jeez, Josh. (laughs) Last one, because I don't want to go too off track. But I arrived early to the restaurant, and a manager said, do you mind waiting a bit? I said, no. Good, he said, take these drinks to table nine. All right. Terrible. (laughs) Let's get back on track with the Instagram feed of the year for wrestling. All right. My pick for Instagram feed. This might think this might make you think something simple at first, like, oh, yeah, I see where you're going, but it's not where I'm going. Uh, Now, there's really not that much wrestling content. On there, but I'm going to go with Tori Wilson's Instagram feed. I mean, yes, you get the bathing suit photos occasionally here and that, but kind of like people like The Rock and uh, R-Truth and stuff like that, she posts a lot of positive vibes, you know, motivation type stuff. So, I mean, yes, she's hot. Yes, it's a wrestling, uh, somebody who is involved in wrestling, but you also get a lot of positive vibes with what she posts. So I, that's why I'm recommending people follow her on Instagram. So I, I couldn't pick him on Twitter. So I'm picking him on Instagram is Instagram feed is as full of flips and twists and amazing moves as his matches are. And I'm going to go with my boy Ricochet. Okay. For mine, this has nothing to do with the recent events of over the weekend. Um, I had this locked in quite a while ago, but I figure she could use some love anyway. So between her awesome picks and promotions and positive messages also, but I'm going with Tay Conti and uh, she is at Tay Conti underscore. Um, she was, Bullied off of Twitter over the weekend by the wrestling trolls over the weekend. And um, so she's taking a little break from social media, but she'll probably be back after the holidays. I would imagine on Instagram only, but you never know. Um, But she is uh, definitely a lot of positivity and um, still has entertaining value. Instagram feed of the year for pop culture. Much along the lines of my Twitter feed of the year, I am going with the Instagram account, Why the Long Playface. And a lot of it is Star Wars gags, but it's Photoshop humor. Like it has like, I, I think it's like Rocky and Apollo Creed. And it looks like they're running from Adat Walkers from Empire Strikes Back and stuff like that. So it's, it's a lot of humor. A lot of gags. I think, I think they have one where it's like uh, Bjork and Mindy instead of Mork and Mindy. And it's Bjork the singer dressed up like Mork. So a lot of fun stuff like that if you like Photoshop humor. Seth posted a link to one of the Iron Sheik's tweets, and that's why I picked him. <laughs> that's that's pretty I, – I mean, so I, I guess I have to read it because our listeners don't know what we're talking about. But the Sheik tweeted – Kim Jong-un and the Dennis Rodman have dog sex and Chris Brown become the baby. They all can go fuck themselves forever. Like, isn't that amazing? I I just like how it says, he says the Dennis Rodman and Chris <laughs> Brown become the baby. 
you know, like he like he transforms into the baby or something. <laughs> That's I guess part of the way he talks it with he's naming something like a place or a person. It's always uh, in front of it. And that's part of the hilarity. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so my Instagram feed for pop culture, uh, not as out there as Iron Sheik, but I'm going to go with Crafty Panda. Now, my my social media usage is dwindling uh, more and more every day. But I still have Crafty Panda up there. And if you've never seen a Crafty Panda post, they – they do really neat and interesting engineering things. Like, I'm going to fold this together to make, I don't know, um, a bag to carry things in. Or I'm going to do a little bit of woodwork and make this amazing desk. Or, you know, if I cut this metal here and there, I can make a, like an amazing door handle. Like, they use those almost like life hacks, but a little bit more detailed than that. Um, they come up with some really interesting stuff that – Anybody can build with a few tools and things around the house. So I, I can get lost in that feed for, you know, hours. So always fun to watch. I am going to go with uh, Travis Brown's Poddex account because it not only gives information on his Poddex, which we have used to fuel a couple of our Prime Cut episodes recently, and we will continue to use in 2022. But he also puts podcasting advice on there and tips and tricks and, you know, lots of help. And he has a Facebook group community. So all of it stems, uh, or at least for me, it all stems through the Instagram account because that's, uh, where I see most of his stuff. So, yeah, at Poddex, P-O-D-D-E-C-K-S. We are going to steer into the wrestling for a little bit here, and we'll come back to pop culture a little bit later. But give your promotion or brand of the year. I believe I had picked New Japan the last few years, so this is the first time in a long time, I will not be picking New Japan. I think, though, we're probably going to uh, be picking that. I'm probably not going to be the only one who's going to be picking this. My promotion or brand of the year is going to be All Elite Wrestling, AEW. Uh, I mean, new, there was a lot of good stuff in New Japan this year, but they were definitely, I think, handcuffed a bit because of the COVID restrictions and things that, that happened because they could not do a lot of the stuff that they normally would be awesome, like the G1, a lot of the other stuff. So while it's not entirely their fault, this just hasn't been as good of a year this year as the past one. And AW has been thoroughly entertaining throughout the entire year. And uh, I went to several shows over the late summer and enjoyed all of them. Uh, yes, there's some hiccups here and there. There's some stuff that could be done better. But for the first year in my book, uh, AEW is my wrestling promotion of the year. We've talked about that and, and why many, many times over on the show. And Seth, I'm absolutely agreeing with you. Holy wrestling, AEW is my promotion brand of the year. And, you know, we, I don't want to make this another podcast episode just about this, but I'll simply say that it's a place for go to go where talent can be themselves. 
and they shine being themselves. And that's what really all I can say and all I really need to say that the stuff coming out of that, that uh, promotion has been fantastic all year long. And I'm going with NXT 2.0. Nope. Just kidding. <laughs> that is going to be the forgotten brand of the year. Oh, kidding. But I will concur with my fellow panelists and all elite wrestling. It's all the talent that's been brought in, all the existing great talent, the great shows, the great surprises, the great storytelling, great matches. You just can't go wrong with all elite wrestling unless you're a complete WWE mark. And you can send your 10,000 word blog posts. <laughs> Watch Josh on Twitter. Yeah. <clears throat> and I welcome them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so for all those reasons and everything that's already been said, All Elite Wrestling, promotion of the year. Now, this uh, should be interesting, but wrestling show of the year. Wrestling show of the year. Now, are we talking regular TV show? Or are we just talking event or either one or... It can be an episode of a show, a pay-per-view. Uh, okay. So, in other words, it would not be like Raw or Dynamite or Rampage. It would be a specific singular show. Okay. In that case, yeah, I will choose, and partially selfish reasons, because I was there. Actually, I think we both were there. But I am picking AW All Out on, what was that, September 5th of this year, I mean, top to bottom, it was just an amazing show. Uh, arguably the best show I've been to live. Uh, and that, that, of course, had the CM Punk's first match. It had the debuts of Brian Danielson and Adam Cole. And really, I think, showed that AEW can have some uh, household names as well as up and coming names because I mean Daniel Bryan was in this year's WrestleMania and then by the end of the year he's wrestling for the AEW title. So yeah, All Out was probably the single best show of the year. Um, and there, there there were definitely contenders. I mean there there were some good WWE shows this year as well. Uh, not nearly as good, I think, but there were some good ones. AEW had some good shows. There were some, I seriously considered some New Japan shows this year as well. But in the end, it's uh, all out is, I think, is just thoroughly entertaining from top to bottom. Now, I'm also going to pick an AEW show, and, and I thought about all out, but I'm going to go with full gear from this year. Um, some, some really awesome wrestling on the show. I had uh, the Lucha Brothers uh, defeating FTR, uh, Brian Danielson and Miro. Uh, well, it's Christian Cage and Jurassic Express uh, against a super click. Uh, Britt Baker and Ty Conti. Uh, CM Punk and Eddie Kingston. Adam Page and Kenny Omega. A lot of big, really fun, great matches to watch on the show for sure. Much like Seth, I am going on um, attendance bias and um, participation bias. And I, too, am saying AEW. All Out, September 5th, 2021. All the great matches that were there that Seth mentioned, and also the AEW debuts of Adam Cole and Brian Danielson. Just a great show. 
and so fun to be a part of. And a testament to how great the show was is all the video I took on my phone, I forgot to take my camera settings out of 4K. So there are large video files stuck on my phone that I cannot get off of my phone, and I refuse to delete them because I don't want to lose the in-person vibe of said videos. So, all out, definitely the wrestling show of the year for me. Dude, connect a cable to your phone and copy it into your computer, my God. These are like several gig files. Like that, the Adam Cole, Brian Danielson segment is over eight minutes, and it's probably a 10 to 12 gig file. It does not easily move across the wire, and it does not easily upload to the cloud either. Good grief, man. You went back to an iPhone, didn't you? Yep. (laughs) Oh, well. All right. Now we are going to surprise of the year in the world of wrestling. Well, this is also going to be an AEW pick. And that was because it was a surprise. It was a sudden appearance. I'm not going to pick Brian Danielson because we suspected him. I am not going to pick Adam Cole because we suspected he was going to be there as well. I am picking the surprise appearance of Minoru Suzuki. Because when I started hearing his music, I was like, what? And you could hear the reaction of the crowd, you know, with the holy poop chant that happened when they were standing in the ring. So that and. We knew that AEW and New Japan had a measure of. Working relationship together because we'd already seen Kenta on AEW programming, but the fact that we saw a heavy hitter like. Minoru Suzuki come out like that, I think that was kind of solidified the deal that there's going to be some cross-promotion there. So I totally marked out at that. I was chanting along with it. So, yeah, Minoru Suzuki, that's my wrestling surprise of the year. Yeah, I don't really follow um, Japanese wrestling, so I I can see where Seth would be a big surprise for you. I'm going to go to the segment you guys just talked about, Adam Cole and Brian Danielson showing up at All Out. Nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Place. Everybody lost their mind. It was great. Well, I'm going to pare that down a little bit, and I'm going to say just Adam Cole's debut because everybody and their brother was anticipating Brian Danielson, and then when Adam Cole flashed across the screen, the collective crowd lost their minds, and um, We knew he was going to be there eventually. We didn't really necessarily believe that he was going to be at All Out. And when, you know, Kenny gives the line that nobody can, you know, beat me and and then the lights go out and everybody's thinking, you know, Brian Danielson. And then we had the temporary swerve of Adam Cole ahead of the actual Brian Danielson debut. Um, But in addition to that, I've actually called a tie for this category, um, mainly because I'm cheating a little bit. But I'm also going to throw in for the surprise of the year, the demise of Ring of Honor. Uh, This definitely came out of nowhere. And it, you know, for as much as they're backpedaling now, 
and saying things like, oh, we never said we're shutting down and we're just on a hiatus. For all intents and purposes, when you release your entire roster, you're shutting down. So, uh, yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere. And I was going to put it under news of the year, but I decided to go in a different direction for that. So I'm piggybacking surprise of the year with the demise of Ring of Honor. Just for a little bit of discussion, did you guys think that, uh, so back to Adam Cole and Brian Dinerson, do you guys still think he was showing up after Adam Cole came out? You're going to get both, still going to get both of them, or still going to get uh, Brian the same night? I wasn't quite sure. Uh, one of the little things that you notice if you go back and watch that show is Adam Cole actually did come out the heel entryway, because AEW has things set up where heels come out of one tube and baby faces come out of the other. But uh, when it, when we did hear the uh, flood of Valkyries hit, you know, we like we all we were like, holy crap, we got both of them in one night. And normally I would think that'd be too much, but it was the fact that they were both rumored anyway. And like you might as well do them both in hindsight. So, so yeah, I, I thought we were going to get one and not the other. But then when we got both, you, you, I guess it was kind of an extra surprise. So I, I, I can see where where you guys are coming from. I think, and it's never been officially said, but I think they moved up Brian Danielson's um, debut because it was originally supposed to be at the Arthur Ashe Stadium uh, show to try to space these out a little bit. But that was ahead of what was potentially another surge of COVID cases. Um, and Tony didn't really know. He was anticipating maybe going back to Daly's place um, if they had done another lockdown or anything like that. That did not happen, but I think in preparation of that, they just decided to go with Adam Cole and Brian Danielson on the same show. Just my guess. Makes sense, though. Okay, storyline of the year. Storyline of the year. Uh, this is actually going to be a WWE entry for me because it's probably the single best storyline in wrestling right now. Blasphemer. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, yeah, that, that is the storyline involving Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, and the loyalty of Paul Heyman. That it's just been one of those natural stories that they've kind of let breathe and didn't try too hard to put too much talking and swerves and all that in it. And I think that's actually made the storyline easier to watch it just because it felt so natural. So, and plus it, it's just, you'd be, tr- have, you'd be, have to try to screw it up in order to screw it up. It's something that it is just so easy to, just let them do their thing. So yeah, it's it's the best storyline in wrestling right now. The Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar storyline with Heyman kind of in the middle. I, I would agree. So I I went with the, the bloodline storyline overall, but that whole um, right the, the whole which side is Paul Heyman on? That's just gold. And with Paul and Roman driving that, that's that's pretty awesome stuff. Surprisingly, I did not pick this as the storyline of the year only because for me it's kind of waned last friday notwithstanding but prior to last friday it had kind of almost hit a wall creatively 
and I wasn't sure where they were going to take it. So thinking back on the whole entire year, I went with kind of a um, overarching story, not the actual storyline within it, because some of it was kind of screwed up and fell by the wayside. But I'm going for the All Elite Wrestling, Impact Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Cross Promotion, a.k.a. The Forbidden Door. Lots of people coming on programming that you never thought you would see. And uh, granted, it did not help Impact Wrestling as much as people thought it would in the beginning. But Kenny versus Impact was part of that. All the guys from New Japan, now we're getting like Rocky Romero on a regular basis. Uh, the best friends are part of the Chaos stable now. So lots of crossing of the streams. I think if they would have done that, um, a little more interfaces for a lot longer, I'd, I'd agree with you. Like it just they, When Kenny Omega showed up on Impact, it's like, okay, or even before that, when Don Callis is like, well, you have to come and watch Tuesday to find out. Like, what? And then you tune in and see Kenny and Don on Impact. But that was a, that was a real big moment. And I think if they would have kept on the, the really in your face bit, and, you know, it really only, that part really only lasted a, a few weeks. So I mean, they would have meant a longer storyline for me anyway. It was still awesome though. I'll give you that. It was still pretty awesome. I can agree with those points there. Uh, like I said, some of it, the ball was definitely dropped. Okay. Topic that may or may not be a point of contention. Wrestling <laughs> match of the year. There actually are a lot of good contenders in this one, but my pick is actually a match that Recently happened uh, just last week. I've watched it about three times since then, and I'm still kind of seeing stuff I might not have noticed before. And I'm going with the Hangman Page, Brian Danielson, one-hour draw from last week's Dynamite. I don't think I really need to say too much about this match that hasn't already been said, but that's that's my pick for match of the year. I like those matches that have the big draws, and I liked um, Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega when that happened. Almost picked it as match of the year, but I'm going to go with a tag team match. I'm going to go with uh, Phoenix and Penta El Zero Miedo versus the Young Bucks. Ah, from that great show in Chicago. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Hoffman Estates. WWE would say Chicago. AEW keeps it real and says Hoffman Estates. <laughs> All right. This is another category, and I believe it's my last one. Let me just double check. No, it's not. Okay, it's second to last, but I am I uh, I'm awarding a tie here, mainly because I had one picked since August, and even though a more recent entry almost knocked it off, I did not want to relinquish my original pick, so therefore I <laughs> deemed a tie. Uh, the second one that came into existence was the aforementioned Brian Danielson versus Hangman Adam Page 60 minute draw. I knew right around the 40 to 45 minute mark, as soon as, you know, they were playing up the time, I'm like, ah, damn, this is going to be a draw, isn't it? But be that as it may still 
kept you interested and on the edge of your seat and just some fantastic storytelling within the match itself. Um, but my original match of the year, which I did not want to give up, was from NXT TakeOver 36 on August 22nd for the NXT UK title. Walter versus Ilya Dragunov. Another match that had fantastic storytelling in it and hard-hitting and physical and... I don't even know yet because he hasn't been on my TV since, but I have no idea if Dragunov's chest ever recovered from all those Walter chops turning his chest into hamburger meat. Um, but the, the feud had such a great build to it, and Dragunov was finally able, through sheer whatever the opposite of frustration is just in a violent sense was finally able to snap Walter's record breaking, uh, streak of being the title holder and, uh, was able to vanquish not only his nemesis, but win the title in the process, such a great match. Um, I'll probably watch it again before the year is out. Um, so yeah, that's why I didn't want to give that one up because I wanted to give that match props regardless. Yeah, good pick. Yeah, I've never seen a man's chest beat up like that before. That was that was wild. Yeah, it had gone way past purple and was coming close to black. Yeah. A lot of scratches and red marks, too. Yeah, Brian Danielson watched that and says, uh, I think your chest is starting to hurt there a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, news of the year in the world of wrestling. We may agree on this one. Uh, we may not. Uh, it's just fine either way. I tempted to use this for surprise of the year, but considering it was not a surprise, it was something that was expected once it was hinted at. I couldn't use it as a surprise, but it certainly qualifies for news of the year in wrestling, and that is the return of CM Punk, because I think... If we had heard at the beginning of the year or last year or something like that, that CM Punk's going to come back to wrestling, it might have had like a yeah, right type thought to it. Now, granted, I had thought at some point, it's like if Punk ever comes back to wrestling, could he return to something that's not WWE? And I thought, well, could he do Japan or something like that? But him coming back, not just to wrestling, but basically being the punk of old coming out to cult of personality and all, all that good stuff, I think is definitely the type of thing that will draw the casual fans back. And I think it's been reflected in the ticket sales and pay-per-view sales and all that for AW. So yeah, CM Punk returning is my news of the year. I also considered what you were talking about, Josh, with the uh, forbidden door. That's worthwhile as well. But I think just from a mainstream level that punk's probably a little bit bigger news. This isn't official news. Maybe it is. I don't know. But it's, it's really my own perception, and it made it news as such. As other than with the bloodline story, I don't know how WWE is so bad. <laughs> they could spend an entire calendar year being so bad. Sure, there's been there's been some fantastic wrestling, but really, there's 
I can't find a reason to get invested in anyone. And it's gone on for pretty much a full calendar year. And I don't know how the biggest promotion in the world with some of the greatest talent in the world manages to achieve that. So that's my news of the year. That was almost going to be my botch of the year is WWE botching their own creative. Um, but I, I went in another direction for that. But my news of the year will echo Seth's sentiments, and it, it's really not even close. As he, as Seth stated, if you know, in recent years, you know, all the CM Punk chants, especially in Chicago, uh, was just in the beginning. It was people who wanted him back. Then it graduated or devolved i should say into the crowd's way to voice their disapproval of something and nobody ever thought that he would come back and then aew happened and they based their second dairy home in chicago and every time there was an event there they would always say, well, this is the one where he's coming back, and then he wouldn't come back. And then they would have another show in Chicago. Oh, this is the one where he's coming back, and then nothing. And then Punk would have interviews, and he would be on their StarCast panels for the weekend, and people would say, well, he's there, so he must be coming on the show. And then he wouldn't. And Punk was always saying it would have to be the right, around, right amount of money and the right amount of creative to get him to come back. And after the fact, we found out that Punk had actually been talking to Tony Khan, and he would have came back last year if it wasn't for the global pandemic. So he, the fact that he did come back this year and uh, signed a multi-year deal, and he's working with the younger talent, and he's still over and getting people over, and now he's in a uh, feud with one of their pillars and uh not 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 anything really bad you can say about this return although the internet trolls are saying that they're not doing his return right um they are incorrect but definitely news of the year cm punk returns to professional wrestling in all elite wrestling okay wrestling feud of the year once again this goes back to my storyline of the year the Roman Brock Heyman story. I mean, they had, I don't think they've had an actual match, but a feud isn't necessarily about a single match. It's about the story. So my feud of the year is the Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns feud. Like I said, it's, it's, I have SmackDown on the DVR every week and I might not watch the whole show, but I'll definitely at least watch the stuff that Roman and Brock are doing each week. Yeah, actually, I'm going to, um, sorry, I got stunned for a moment. I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to go with uh, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. What side is Paul Heyman on? Uh, the unemployment side. <laughs> um, I'm also, it's funny that the feud of the year is all coming from WWE, but I'm going in a different direction. And my feud of the year is Seth Rollins versus Edge. And I'm going to read an excerpt from sportster.com that did feud of the year uh did an article on this feud of the year and they said the feud between edge and seth rollins stemmed from 2014 in which rollins attempted to make edge wheelchair bound after his retirement 
Since Edge returned in 2020, cleared from a career-ending injury, it was only a matter of time before they came to blows. Their first confrontation came in their respective hunts for the Universal Championship, but became more and more personal. Edge would win their first match. In their second encounter, Rollins and Edge shared a hugely emotional moment in which the younger star attempted to cause serious damage to his opponent. He didn't do enough, though, as Edge did eventually return. The feud was ramping up to explosive proportions, which could only be settled inside Hell in a Cell. Their final match was yet another classic, helping to wrap up a vicious rivalry seven years in the making. I am completely shocked you didn't go with um, Hangman and Kenny Omega. Well, that spanned more than this year, so that's why I disqualified it. Ah. Plus, a lot of it was in and out, like woven in and out of the year, so it it, it didn't really qualify to me as feud of the year because a lot of the heavy lifting was in previous years. I. <laughs> All right, before we get back to a couple of pop culture topics, we're going to go down the negative road for the wrestling botch of the year. This one, uh, there were a lot of picks over the year, over the year, yeah, year singular. Uh, The one that definitely jumped out at me the most, just because it just made me think, what the heck? was Becky Lynch's return and the instant turning uh, turning her heel because it just seemed like they just pooped on a million-dollar angle of having a beloved baby face come back and do what they did. And, of course, they did a whole bait-and-switch with Carmella and Bianca Belair and uh, Sasha Banks and all that. So that was a botch from the start. And then they could have come in and had Becky as a baby face. And even if she'd won the title as a baby face, I think it still would have worked because you could play that Bianca didn't have time to prepare. It was a surprise opponent. And then you have a worthy rematch. But instead, they turned her heel. The crowd clearly does not want to boo her. They want to cheer her. And then she goes through the tired, old promos week after week about how she comes out, she's going to be a baby face, she's going to say, and then she turns and she says, it's all because of you, the fans. They they do these promos practically every week on Raw and SmackDown to the point where you can practically hear the verbiage in your head right before they say it. And... It, it just, it's the type of thing that I think has drawn people away from WWE because it's like they dangle something that you think you might want and then take it away and say like, you know, Dark Helmet would say, you know, fooled you. <laughs> and then they're actually still going to want to watch their stuff. There's another rant I could go on with WWE about their format and how they juxtapose uh, segments in with match introductions and stuff. And that, that just doesn't work either. But that's beside the point. Becky Lynch, she shouldn't have been healed. She should come back as a baby face. Even if, she, even if you gave her the title right out of the gate, I think that still would have been fine. But she should have been a baby face, not a heel. 
I'd, I'd almost given this to Becky, to Becky Lynch for not for the angle or not for her return, but for her attack on Liv Morgan when she was charging at her at the ring steps and wiped out and fell flat on her ass while doing so. But I'm going to go to AEW actually for this one. And uh, I have to go to the, the ring that shall not explode. The, uh, the Omega, John Moxley match or the exploding ring match where, you know, um, Omega beat the crop out of Moxley, left him handcuffed in the ring while the timer was going off to this gigantic explosion. It's like, oh boy, they're really going to write Mox off TV now, aren't they? And we're waiting for this to go off and Eddie Kingston roars out of the back to dive on top of Moxley to protect him from this massive explosion. And a couple of tiny fireworks went off and say it's not what we expected and not what everybody was amped up for. And it just came across as really poor on TV. So that's my watch of the year. It's really bad when a category is locked in in the second month of the year. No, I'm sorry, third month of the year, uh, as this went down on March 7th. But I'm going to agree with Jarrett, and I've had it locked in ever since it happened the night of. So this has been in play, in place, since Sunday night, March 7th, 2021. The exploding barbed wire death match, where Gilberg's pyro laughs at the explosions (laughs) <laughs> that uh, Eddie Kingston had to sell and nothing ever touched him. So, yeah, for all the reasons that Jared explained, same botch. And and some of the internet trolls thought that AEW would never recover. Well, kind of did. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit, a little bit. If it wasn't for shows like this and a year-end review, nobody would even remember. Yeah. Didn't that happen in 1999? Oh, wait. Okay. A couple of more pop culture topics. First off, surprise of the year in pop culture. Surprise of the year, huh? Wait, I actually did not have a pick for this one, to be honest. So I guess I'll abstain unless I think of something by the end of the show. Well, speaking of things that were locked in since early on in the year, I'm going all the way back to January 6th, and it's maybe deep and dark and perhaps political, but the, the riot at the Capitol building as uh, the results of your election was being confirmed is like, yikes. Who thought that was going to happen? All the Trumpers. Well, <laughs> America's hat sure didn't see it coming, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that i sadly that's uh, that was out of my mind it could have been a surprise of the year it could have been the news of the year but i completely completely blocked it out of my mind so my surprise of the year for pop culture was jeopardy's host quandary and their poor decisions Following several rounds of guest-hosted episodes, Jeopardy! announced that it had finally found Alex Trebek's successor. Executive producer Mike Richards was chosen, with Mayim Bialik 
tapped to host special episodes. However, Richard's reign was cut short after news of his past work history and related legal baggage surfaced. Richards was accused of discrimination on the set of Prices Right during his tenure, and he was named in two legal complaints from models on the show who alleged unfair treatment. If that wasn't enough, he was also accused of making it appear like other candidates who guest-hosted Jeopardy had a real chance at scoring the hosting gig when he had himself in mind the whole time. Ultimately, Richards and Sony announced that he was stepping down as Jeopardy host. He was also ousted from his role as producer of Jeopardy and of Wheel of Fortune. Then they named... Ken Jennings and Mayim Bialik co-hosts for the remainder of this season until they find a new host. Whoops. How LeVar Burton ever became host of that show is still perplexing me to this day. <laughs> well, that would fall under the category of making it appear like other candidates had a chance. <laughs> well, the Internet writing vote would have been amazing for him. <laughs> okay, news of the year, pop culture. News of the year for pop culture for me, I just talked about it at the beginning of the episode here. I think Spider-Man's opening weekend is a huge pop culture news thing because it's the third biggest of the year. You know, not pandemic or anything like that. We're talking third biggest of all time. So, it, it like, better than... Uh, Force Awakens. I think it was only the two last Avengers movies that were that were bigger. So $250 million opening weekend. It was like $500 million worldwide. Uh, so I, I just think it, it's a sign that maybe things are kind of getting back to normal now, hopefully. And that's really all I'm going to say about that. But it's the fact that it that much bank uh, is news of the year worthy, in my opinion. Well, my news of the year could almost be combined with geekery, perhaps, but Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner, went to space. And not only did he go to space, but he lived. I was, I was fearful the entire time. I thought William Shatner's 90 years old, folks. And I thought for sure that him going through all that G-force getting up there was, was going to do just nasty things and, the, the rocket was going to come back, and Captain Kirk was going to have passed in space, and we'd all be very, very sad. And instead, you know, Shatner returns. He has a super emotional interview afterwards. Um, that was awesome. So much fun to watch. Well, I went down a dark path for news of the year. As I had told Jarrett earlier today, I had quite a hard time narrowing this down. And then I brought it down to five and then uh, finally decided that the most newsworthy was the Astro World Music Festival crowd crush that killed 10, injuring hundreds. And the whole controversy with the show still continuing to go on. Um, I just felt that was the most newsworthy item of the year. Okay, kicking back over to the wrestling side of things and hopefully on happier topics, Breakthrough Wrestler of the Year, male. We may agree on this one. We may not. That's fine. 
I'm going with a WWE pick this year. The guy who's kind of been all over NXT 2.0 since its debut. And that is the, uh, who we thought would be Rex Steiner, but Braun Breaker. And it's like, but even though it's kind of funny, it's like they hint that he's a Steiner. The crowd knows that he's a Steiner because they do the dog howls and he, he looks like uh, an N64 version of Rick Steiner, if you remember the WCW versus the world or WCW NWO world tour back in the day, he looks like an N64 wrestler. So, but he, you know, so he looks like his dad, talks like his uncle. Everybody knows it except WWE wants to tell you that he's Braun Breaker, not Rex Steiner, but he checks all the boxes for a top guy, uh, even this early in his career. So that's why he's my pick for breakthrough wrestler. I'm going to go with a former WWE star who came out hot in WWE and then, as WWE folks do, as creative fumbles them around, went and dried up quite a bit, went over to AEW and just turned things up to another level, and it's been all kinds of awesome. And I'm going to go with the man that we now know is Miro, the Redeemer, and his promos are stuffs of legend already. Um, his, his in-ring is great. His character is awesome in AEW. And he went from kind of like worn out and who cares in WWE to just, I can't stop watching this guy in AEW. So here was my pick. I'm going with someone in AEW also, but I'm going to give it to the Spanish God, Sammy Guevara, as he had a great year. He was the one who got the pinfall in the Blood and Guts match that pretty much sent him on his stratospheric path for the year. He continued to put on great match after great match. He defeated previously stated Miro for the TNT championship and um, just continues to have open challenge matches. He's wrestled Jay lethal, which apparently the match was so good. It's kept Jay off TV since, which I don't get, but (laughs) um, yeah. And now he's having a Christmas day match against Cody Rhodes And he's got the um, men of the year after him, but continues to persevere and and, uh, you know, continue his rise. So my breakthrough is the TNT champion currently, Sammy Guevara. Not to mention he can sell a super kick like nobody's business. Exactly. Breakthrough wrestler of the year, female. This one. I don't know if qualified breakthrough because she's been around for a couple of years now, but I guess since uh, Jarrett picked Miro, uh, this is fair game. This will be an AEW pick. She's been around, but now it's like she's become kind of the expected fixture. I mean, Punk even made reference to that about pillars. And I'm going with Britt Baker, especially since she's won the title and kind of had her minions in the form of uh, Rebel and Jamie Hayter. Yeah, it's something that so many good heels have is they, they have their minions that do their dirty work for them. 
So I'm picking Britt Baker. She's got great promos. Um, I, when you think about her title reign and her in ring stuff, I mean, yeah, there's not match of the year stuff that she's done, but outside of losing to Riho a couple weeks back, when's the last time she got pinned? I mean, I have to scratch my head trying to think of the last time we saw her lose. And that alone, I think, is worthy of putting her as as a breakout from the rest. For my female breakthrough wrestler of the year pick, I'm going back to WWE. And someone who's done really well recently, um, maybe spanning back the last few months. But I'm going to go with Liv Morgan, who essentially came out of nowhere and and promote her ass off leading up to Survivor Series and had some good matches and then earned a spot and had a, <clears throat> excuse me and had a title match against Charlotte Flair, which was an excellent match to watch. And it's, I think Liv Morgan was kind of uh, uh, punching above her weight class in that one. Nobody expected her to do really well. I don't think her to do that well. And I thought she had an, an excellent match. So she's definitely elevated herself. So I'm going to pick Liv Morgan. You mean she had a title match against Becky Lynch? Yes, I keep screwing that up. <laughs> Wrong show. Okay. Um, my breakthrough wrestler of the year, female, I'm going AEW, and I'm going Ty Conti. She hasn't had, as Seth would say, match of the year candidates, but she keeps improving week in, week out. Uh, they keep featuring her, so she's not going back to catering or anything like that. And she's had <laughs> two title opportunities this year and uh, hopefully some more in 2022. I still like the promo she had a, a while back about Britt Baker, where she said, well, I would say I'd kick your ass, but you don't have one. <laughs> okay. Babyface of the year, male. There are definitely some good picks this year for babyface of the year. Oh, Several alone just in AEW. Uh, there's been some picks in New Japan as well. Uh, but I am going with AEW, and this kind of goes with the story that was being told all year with the kind of being pushed into the front, front line, and he kind of became a de facto leader, although he was reluctant. And of course, we're talking about the Dark Order and his... Uh, Failure at getting a title match and then coming back and then winning like he was second guessing himself. But then, by gosh, he stepped up, put everything on the line and won. And I'm talking about the current AEW champion, Hangman Adam Page, as my baby face of the year. I am going to agree reluctantly. Um, you know, we, we talked about the, the story being told with Kenny Omega and kind of capping that off with the title win after going through his. You know, his trials and tribulations, not his fan, but you have to give it to him. I'll go to Hangman Adam Page as well. I almost did, but I decided to spread some of the love around, and I went to probably the most organic and genuine option that I could think of. Somebody who manifested that he wanted to be king of the ring, he got entered into the tournament, and every critic and cynic thought that they were just going to WWE him. Uh, he actually won. So my babyface of the year is King Woods. 
Xavier Woods. I'm going to make a prediction that for this time next year, my face of the year pick is going to be Roman Reigns. You got it on record. <laughs> I was going to say, you heard it here first. Okay, babyface of the year, female. This one I had to think about for a little bit. There were a couple of worthy picks. Uh, like Jarrett had said about Breakthrough being Taikani, I, di- I did consider Taikanti, but I'm going to go with the woman who actually was the AEW Women's Champion for a good chunk of the year with Hikaru Shida. Uh, and she had that thing where she w- was the first to get uh, 50 wins for the company, at least the first female, I think. I think it was Jungle Boy that got the 50 wins overall. But she was a fighting champion, uh, held the title for a good chunk of the year, basically had an entire 12-month reign uh, for champion, and was a babyface the whole time. They've had a little rough stuff there with her with Abaddon, but I think they realized people weren't taking kindly to a babyface being afraid. So I yeah I I like fighting champions I like the baby face that steps up against all comers and I think Hiroshida typified that so she's my pick for female baby face of the year. I think it was uh, Josh actually went breakthrough for Ty Conti but I have actually picked her for my face of the year for all the reasons that that Josh said and there really hasn't been anyone else for for me that I've gotten behind um, as a as a female baby face so I'm going with Ty Conti. I went in the direction of the EST of WWE, Bianca Belair. Uh, Nothing short of a great year for herself that was sabotaged two-thirds or three-fourths of the way into the year, which has kept her out of my wrestler of the year conversation, but she was definitely a babyface through and through. So after winning the 2021 Royal Rumble, defeating Sasha Banks in the main event of WrestleMania 37 on whichever night that was, to become the SmackDown Women's Champion. She then defeated Bailey at WrestleMania Backlash. She won an ESPY award. Uh, She was SmackDown Women's Champion for 132 days and then, of course, lost to the returning Becky Lynch and fell victim to awful booking decisions since. But through it all, still a babyface, and I'm giving the award to Bianca Belair. That is a good pick. I mean, I considered her for the reason you said before, and she may have been at WrestleMania. Heel of the Year, male. I might have to explain this. I might not. We may be in agreement with this. We may not. But for me, it came down to two guys to be heel of the year. And the one I am picking is MJF. I don't think I need to explain why MJF is heel of the year. He gets on everybody's nerves. He definitely makes you want to see him get his butt kicked, which is what it's all about. The stuff he did with Punk was... Pretty legendary as far as dueling promos go. And I'm sure some people would say, well, what about Roman Reigns? And that's a worthy question. So this is the simple analogy that I will make. If there was going to be a match right now between MJF and Roman Reigns, who would you cheer for? Chances are 
in my case, I would wind up cheering for Roman because I'd want to see MJF get beaten, which means he's the more detestable heel to me than Roman Reigns is. So that kind of takes Roman out from being my heel of the year. And I think that justifies me picking MJF for heel of the year. That's a loaded question, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> um, for, for me, there is only one choice. Uh, there was absolutely zero debate on this, and I'm choosing to acknowledge my tribal chief, Roman Reigns, as the heel of the year. This is my last category where I have awarded a tie, and neither of these gentlemen are MJF. But I was about I, to take not a heel. What? Oh, wrong tie. You said so you awarded a tie. I thought you meant tie. No. That was a bad joke. Yes. <clears throat> Pronunciation humor. Um, so one of these gentlemen is, in fact, the tribal chief who recently sported a T-shirt inspired by CM Punk because he said in an interview that CM Punk does not move the needle. And so now he came out on Friday with a t-shirt that actually said needle mover on it. So oh, you can buy the t-shirt now. <laughs> you can thank CM Punk for that Roman Reigns t-shirt. But anyway, uh, Roman Reigns is one of my uh, contenders. And the other one is the former AEW World Heavyweight Champion, and that's Kenny Omega. Not only was he a righteous dick for most of the year, but uh, so was the Elite, but it's not heel stable of the year, so I just chose Kenneth Omega. And he, ironically enough, Jarrett, is another candidate who in 2022 could fall under the babyface of the year category. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But my two selections are Roman Reigns and Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega hit me in the face with a pillow on multiple occasions, so he will always be a heel to me. <laughs> nice. Okay, heel of the year, female. This is another one I thought of for a while, and I had to kind of come down to two main picks and why I had to pick one for the other. This is one that I'm sure some people might question. Uh, some will probably be right along with me in this pick. I am picking Charlotte Flair. I know that there are going to be some people who say, well, some of it might be go away heat because she can be very annoying. But I would argue that when she does get her butt kicked, it, it gets a pop out of the crowd. People could also say, well, what about Britt Baker? Well, I was seeing in person a lot of times. Now, granted, Chicago is a heel-friendly town, but I've seen Britt Baker get cheered when she's trying to be a heel. And, yeah, maybe it's that crowd that just want to cheer for the heels, but I don't see people that cheer Charlotte Flair, at least not in the last several months at least. So that's why I'm giving the nod to Charlotte for female heel of the year. Yeah, there's some heels that are that are almost getting into Steve Austin territory where it's it's cool to cheer the heel. Britt Baker is so good at what she's doing, she's getting cheered. Roman Reigns is starting to get cheered as well, too. And 
Uh, I actually went for my my heel of the year female is Britt Baker. Um, she's just been so good all year long. Her promos have been fantastic. She's a well, I was gonna say a dick heel, but since she's female, I'm not gonna say that. Um, she's been a big jerk. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna go with uh, with Britt Baker. I could not choose Britt Baker for the reason that Seth mentioned, and that she's getting cheered. Um, not many heels do you get the crowd to chant along with a catchphrase. And the other heel that I actually wanted to desperately award this category to, she wasn't a heel for the entire year, and that was Serena Deeb in AEW, who's doing fantastic work right now. But she was not a heel for the entire year. So by default, I have to go with Charlotte Flair also, um, whether it's in real life heat or on screen heat or whatever. She is a heat magnet, although she also is getting cheered at points. And all that makes me feel is disappointed in the crowd. She's reached change of channel heat for me. I concur, but. I'm also intrigued as to who they're going to have take the belt from her, but unfortunately, it's nobody anytime soon. If only they hadn't screwed that up. Yeah, right? That's a whole nother episode. <laughs> Although that could certainly have been botch of the year. Yeah. Tag team of the year. We're not going to do male and female, but this could be male or female. There are several picks that are worthy this year. I'm a tag team guy. Uh, I'll say it again. I'll say it a million more times probably before I die. My favorite form of wrestling matches is probably just straight up tag team matches because there's so many ways you can go and so many stories that can be told. And there's good teams in WWE. There's good teams in AEW. There's good teams in New Japan. Uh, I considered the dangerous techers, the, the New Japan, the IWGP tag champions of, uh, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi because they, they really gelled as a surprise tag team. There's FTR where they went on and won the AAA tag champions, but championship, but I'm going with the team they actually beat for the tag team championship, and that is the Lucha Brothers, uh, Penton and Phoenix. Uh, they simultaneously held tag titles from multiple promotions because they were the AAA tag champions as well as the AEW tag champions. Two completely separate promotions that they both held gold for. And that alone, I think, is worthy enough to put them in the tag team of the year category. So I'm going with the Lucha Brothers, Lucha Bros, whatever you want to call them. They're my tag team of the year. I had to do a tie here. I just I just couldn't pick one. Um, Lucha Brothers were on the list. Seth, I agree with you for all those reasons. Um, the stuff that these guys can do together in the ring is just amazing. And also for performance and just for enjoying the crap out of their matches and holding the titles, I'm going with uh, my boys in the bloodline, the Usos. I should have mentioned them too. They were They were definitely considered. And one other thing I'll mention, if you haven't watched any Lucha Brothers matches recently, this is something to look for. Ray Phoenix may have the hot, the best hot tag in wrestling right now. 
when he gets the hot tag and just goes nuts, that's amazing. <laughs> I don't think he needs the hot tag. I think something in his brain just says go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, my tag team of the year also is the Lucha Brothers. Uh, so deserving. They got their moment at All Out where they won the titles, and they're super over. Their crazy offense is just out of this world, and um, I'm glad they're the current and reigning tag team champions. Looking forward to many more great matches. Even the stuff that they have on a pre-recorded Rampage is still must-watch, even if you read the spoilers, because reading text is not going to do anything, any justice to what they actually do on the screen. Uh, let me uh, put in one more thing about the, the, the tag match, because I know Jarrett picked it for his match of the year. That cage match that they had, you notice they only had one big spot off the cage. I think so many other promotions would have, they probably would have had have a dozen spots off the top of the cage, which, of course, dilutes each spot when you do multiple of them. They only had that one big spot off the cage. Everything else was kind of stuck into the rain, ring, and I, I think they did that by design. Well, they did everything off the off the ropes and the side of the cage, and the way the way they do double teams, their their continuity is just sick. And with you know Phoenix being that you know the king of the ropes, the stuff he pulls off, he said you you have to watch it because you can't describe a triple jump off the ropes in, in enough poetry to other than watching him do it. Okay, we are down to the final two of the awards. Wrestler of the Year male. Again, uh, a lot of potential picks here. Roman Reigns, there's definitely the argument there. Hangman Page winning the world title. You could put the argument there for him. I am going with somebody. We've mentioned him off and on throughout the show here. I am going with Brian Danielson. I mean, he main evented WrestleMania. And then he just had that hour match for the AEW title. When he came into AEW, I mean, he started going back to being the American Dragon. And he basically had about half a dozen matches with half a dozen completely different types of opponents. He was winning matches with different finishers. He was winning by submission. He was winning by pinfall. He was winning with the cattle mutilation. All those throwbacks to his days in Ring of Honor and uh, all the independents uh, throughout the world. So, yeah, he, I think, was just putting on a clinic on how to be a great wrestler in just about every aspect there was. So, Brian Danielson, my wrestler of the year for 2021. Brian Danielson had been in AEW since like February or March. I think it's him, hands down. But, I have to go with the man that's been universal champion for more than a calendar year that beat Daniel Bryan. That is my tribal chief. I shall acknowledge him yet once again. It's a fair point. He, he did beat, he did beat Daniel Bryan. <laughs> Who is Daniel Bryan? Oh, wait, that's more than two months old. Nobody remembers that. Come on, Jarrett. You're supposed to use the sound effect there. <laughs> oh boy however 
And ironically, that being said, I too am picking Daniel Bryan in WWE slash Bryan Danielson in AEW. Yes, he lost to Roman Reigns. He got smashed, as the tribal chief would say, and pancaked and stacked and whatever else. But the fact that he was in that feud to begin with and then was still able to take part of the summer off, if not all of the summer off, because I think that loser leave SmackDown match or whatever it was, was in May and he didn't resurface until September. Uh, the, the quality of matches that he's had, including two time limit draws with two different world champions, just amazing. And as Seth pointed out, a, a cornucopia of finishers that you don't know where the finish is coming from, but, Brian Danielson will kick your head off, will knock your teeth out, go ask Colt Cabana, and uh, he will wreck you. So uh, what I would love in a dream scenario is AEW's version of Brian Danielson versus the Tribal Chief, but we're never going to get that. Uh, but that being said... Daniel Bryan slash Brian Danielson, my wrestler of the year. Until Roman finds out. <laughs> wrestler of the year, female. Again, there are some worthy picks in multiple promotions here. This is one I didn't have penciled in at first. I actually erased a couple names before putting her in, and mainly it's from the similar criteria that I used for Brian Danielson. This is a woman who's had different types of matches. She's had matches in multiple promotions. She's been a champion, I think, in a couple promotions here. She's had some knockdown drag out matches. She's had some good technical matches. And I'm going with Thunder Rosa because she had a uh, match in the TBS tournament, I think, a couple weeks back that just had everybody practically on their feet, just absolutely into the match. She has had blood matches with Britt Baker. She had the NWA uh, women's title match, I think, uh, earlier this year. So a lot of good high-end matches coming from Thunder Rosa, and that's why she's my pick. I'm going to go with someone we've talked about quite a bit throughout the show, so I don't think I need to explain her accomplishments, but I'm going with uh, AEW's resident dentist, Dr. Britt Baker. Well, in that case, I will go down her uh, list of accomplishments because I, too, am picking the good doctor, Britt Baker. She defeated Riho and Thunder Rosa in a tag team match on the Revolution Buy-In show. She couldn't even get on the pay-per-view. Then she lost to Thunder Rosa in the first ever unsanctioned Lights Out main event of Dynamite in March, but became a star based off of that match. She, she then she was pinned, I think. What was, was that? I was just saying, I think that may have been aside from Riho. I think that's the last time she got pinned. Probably, yeah. 
She defeated Hikaru Shida to become the AEW Women's Champion in May at Double or Nothing. She defeated Chris Statlander to retain the title at All Out. She defeated Ty Conti to retain at Full Gear. And she currently is 204 days as the Women's Champion and counting. So for all those reasons... And everything we've heaped praise upon her earlier in the night, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. And that wraps up our year-end awards for the calendar year of 2021. Any final thoughts? I'm glad we got back to live crowds and live touring. It really shows how much crowds have been missed in wrestling shows so hopefully 2022 will continue the big live show feel i think things are just going to get more interesting when it comes to how things go with aw and wwe and new japan and all these other promotions so i think we're finally getting a sense of normalcy back in the wrestling world well kind of piggyback on that i'm, I'm actually just really glad that we got all of that in 2021 because as it stands now and heading into 2022, it looks as though at least here um, on, on the Canadian side of the border, we're headed for more shutdowns and restrictions and arenas are going to half capacity. And that's happening now. Um, if Omicron continues to get worse, I suspect we'll be going into further restrictions. Each other. The province of Quebec is essentially shut down already. So, yeah, I, I'm glad we got what we did this year in wrestling, and I hope that we can continue that next year. Yeah, unfortunately, not not to totally end this show on a, on a, on a negative, but uh, the NHL has already decided to pause the season starting tomorrow and running through after Christmas due to various COVID outbreaks. So um, that might set the precedent. I know the NFL was impacted. They had to move some games around this weekend that just passed based on uh, COVID outbreaks. I think even I think there's a game tomorrow and there's not usually Tuesday football. But, uh, yeah, we will have to see. I will not be surprised if things get shut down again, but uh, we need to not go back to the Thunderdome era. I would rather them figure something else out. There's a lot to be happy about in wrestling for 2021. And as we've talked about throughout this show, and yeah, I, I want to see more. Agreed. Okay. Well, so later on this week as a Christmas bonus, we will be dropping a prime cut episode that's been in the can and it is Jared and I using the aforementioned pod decks playing a little game of Would You Rather? And we're probably going to drop that <laughs> on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Um, and then next week, after the holidays, we will be on again to make our first predictions for the very first pay-per-view of the very first day of 2022 WWE presents day one and 
I can already tell you right now, I will not be in first place after this pay-per-view is over because I'm going to deep left field for a couple of my predictions. Way back, way back. Oh, he leaps the wall and makes the catch. <laughs> Down in flames. I love it. Yep. We, we should get um, some kind of charcoal or lighter fluid to sponsor our next episode. But <laughs> be that as it may, thank you again for listening, downloading, subscribing. Have a happy holiday season, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to the Wrestling Brethren podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast fix to hear the latest discussion from the Wrestling Brethren. You can visit us at twbpodcast.com for posts and episodes. Visit the mothership, if you will, at BehindTheSquaredCircle.com, home of the Behind the Squared Circle podcast network. Let us know your thoughts, questions, and comments at Twitter at TWBP Show, on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Behind the Squared Circle, and on Instagram at The Wrestling Brethren. You can follow Jared on Twitter at The Bacon Rev, and you can follow Josh at Southpaw Josh. Thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you again soon with more from The Wrestling Brethren. <laughs>